up, Team Female? Welcome to Female Political Strategy Podcast. Female first, female forward, politically non-binary. I'm Ro. I'm Lilith. And I'm Elle. All right. So this week, we're going to talk about how liberal feminism is for femme cells. Now, hear me out. Uh, this is a conversation that we started in a Twitter space where we were talking about how a lot of the body positivity and body image feminists have hijacked the entire feminist movement. And case in point, there's an Instagram page literally called Feminist, and it's just an endless stream of identity politics and body positivity posts. People with surgery scars, people who have like non-traditional, I don't know how to say like non-traditional bodies, but people who might be called non-traditionally attractive. Unconventional. Unconventional beauties. There we go. People who have like body hair on their chest or women with full beards, et cetera, et cetera. <gasps> now, Sorry. <laughs> I'm not, I'm in no way exaggerating. Um, now, I'm not saying that there's not, there shouldn't be a space for people to celebrate humans that maybe are like atypical looking, right? I don't know if that's even a nice word to say. Can you even say atypical at this point? Feelings don't matter here. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> if that hurts you, like you've got first world problems. I will say, yeah, like, I don't think people should be like bullied for their appearance. I think that people who, um, you know, maybe don't live up to society's beauty standards, they deserve to have good self-esteem and maybe have a space amongst themselves to like talk about, you know, and commiserate and so on. Um, But I don't understand what the fuck this has to do with feminism. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, you're right. Like no one should make fun of you for it, but you don't deserve special treatment because you've got like a mustache. Yeah, I'm trying to draw the line between like what feminism, which is like a really a political movement and also up to the betterment of female people and what it has to do with like making sure people feel attractive. That's like the through line that I don't understand. I know there's like a stereotype that a lot of times feminists are like, quote unquote, unattractive women, which I don't think is actually true. But at no. the same time, it seems like there's a large cohort of women whose entire like reason for being in feminism is because they want men to find them attractive. They want to somehow like force society to find them as sexually attractive as they may have like, you know, more traditionally attractive women or like they feel rejected by men. So they become like almost like super femme cells, right? <laughs> We're using a lot of bad words in this episode. Yeah. Some of the black pill rad femmes are that way. Like the separatists are like, I can't believe you talk to men anymore. And it, and it comes across like it's very reactionary. Like maybe they don't feel attractive to men or like maybe they're asexual and they don't have sexual attractions to men. Or they're lesbians. I'm cool with lesbians, by the way. However, you're not attracted to men it's like you're just not attracted to them right so you're not going to get it if <laughs> why you're not going to understand straight men, women who are attracted to men if you yourself are not attractive to men yeah i was cursed with violent heterosexuality <laughs> it's like involuntary and against my will it really is that's how you know like man i'm unfortunately heterosexual yeah this is a hostage situation i'm being held hostage by my own sexuality okay have some fucking compassion <laughs> I, am, I am not consenting to heterosexuality we didn't choose this this life chose us i was born this way <laughs> So yeah, like as attractiveness and this superficial feminism, is it valid? I mean, there's just this segment of liberal feminism that bothers me because it's instead of being like, you know, women have value regardless of if they're fuckable. Instead, they're like, okay, I just want to increase the number or types of fuckable bodies. I don't think that's feminist. There we go. Yeah. And that's what it comes across as. And like, that's honestly part of why I think Jezebel went off the rails too, because there are so many pick over there. 
again, we're probably going to keep dragging Tracy Clark for it, but like she wrote a book called Want Me, but it was all about how she was just sort of desperate to fit into like the male gaze. A lot of these liberal feminist magazines, when you start to understand that their feminism isn't really about, or like is only partially about, and honestly, maybe even secondarily about advancing women's interests and more about them feeling like they're being validated by pop culture and feeling specifically sexually validated, you start to understand like why they make some of the decisions they make and why like some of the feminism is actually very nonsensical, right? Because it's not about, it's not about actually tangible benefits for female people. It's about them feeling like I want to be represented in the male gaze. Yeah. And that's why they were like bigging up people like, um, what's the, the, what's the writer from girls? Uh, Lena Dunham. Yeah. Lena Dunham. Remember when like Lena Dunham came out with girls and like everyone was just, especially the Jezzies were just like swarming around here. Like this is a, a landmark body positivity. And I'm fine with the idea that there should be more body representation, especially like in media. Like it, there's obviously for men, there's body positivity. Like you can be a slob and have a hit show and be a man. It's much harder to do that as. Yeah. Men have always been very body positive about themselves. <laughs> right. Generally, generally it's in comedy, but yeah. Body worship. That's what men do. They body worship themselves. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) it just seemed like that became like almost a singular focus. And then this page called feminist on Instagram is just sort of the conglomeration of that, right? You're just seeing a lot of identity politics as feminism rather than being a political action focus. The same feminist Instagram page, they're on Instagram, but they decided to join Twitter, which is going to be really interesting to see how that works out because I feel like a lot of the stuff that flies on Instagram doesn't fly on Twitter because the real feminists are on Twitter and they're going to drag a lot of the stupid shit. All the rad femmes are on Twitter. All the lib femmes are on Instagram. That really says something. No, there's lib femmes on Twitter too, but they get ratioed all the time. The intellectual heavyweights are on Twitter, right? They're not really on Instagram. So within minutes of them posting on Twitter, there was already like a massive takedown from people being like, what? (laughs) what? So one of the the things they posted was they had this hashtag called hashtag feminist for all. And it says hashtag feminist for all means all bodies are good bodies. Virginity is a social construct. Consent is mandatory. Gender is not binary. Non-monogamous relationships are valid. Self-pleasure is self-care. Sex work is real work. And body hair is beautiful. And... No. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, I, okay, I'm going to go over the ones I do agree with. Let's go line by line. because Let's feel go like, line by line. Okay. So I've all, I'll say I responded to this. Like, here I was thinking feminism was about the adva- advancing the rights and interests of female people legally, socially, economically, and politically. But apparently it's actually about validating hairy, non-binary, overweight, polyamorous sex workers and masturbation. <laughs> Masturbators. <laughs> I'm pro-masturbation, by the way, because somebody got mad when I said that. But it's not a social issue. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, I don't feel like every time I flick my bean, I'm doing a feminism. You know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> Yeah, again, I'm pro-masturbation. Masturbation is normal. I don't like porn. That's the one thing. People often conflate masturbation and porn. And so when they say self-pleasure is self-care, I think they're talking about porn, right? Not just masturbation. And often when we critique porn, they're like, oh, so you hate when people masturbate? And it's like, no, you can masturbate without porn. People have been doing it for thousands of years. Let's pin that when we when we get to that like line, because I want to talk about that lib femme coomer den. Yeah. Yeah, so. Let's break that down. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, so let's go line by line on this. The first one being like all bodies are good bodies. Wrong. I mean, I mean, (laughs) 
Sorry, if you're unhealthy and you're going to perpetuate that eating sloppily and training your body like absolute garbage and you should be loved and respected for that, no. Eat better, do better, try better. Okay, so I will start off by saying like we shouldn't cyber bully fat people, first of all. This isn't about bullying, right? We're talking about like feminists for all. That's not what feminists for all I think means. But like, yes, let's caveat that with bullying is not good. Don't attack people. Yeah, so I don't think you should cyber bully fat people or bully fat people at all. Or anybody. Or anybody. I I think my thing with it is... um. I come from a family where health wasn't exactly perpetuated. We had lived off of like a very high carb, high sweet. And oh my God, surprise, we had diabetes running like amok in our family. And no, that's not valid. That's not okay. We shouldn't perpetuate this idea that, oh man, you're just morbidly obese. It just be like that sometimes. No, it doesn't be like that sometimes. It's problematic. I just don't know what they mean by good body. What does that mean? Like it works, it functions. Everybody has a body. Are they saying attractive? Because no, not not all bodies are attractive. Okay, I hate this low-key gaslighting that men have where they're like, oh, I have a dad bod, haha, <laughs> body positivity. Women who won't fuck me are hateful bigots because they won't fuck. It's like, sorry, I like hot guys with abs. Have you seen Shrek? Yeah. <laughs> I actually rewatched Shrek recently and I actually hate it. I know. <laughs> Someone wrote on Twitter that the moral of Shrek was that if you hang out with a dirty and ugly man, you become dirty and ugly too. Do better, queens. <laughs> You are the company you keep. Yeah, exactly. I really hate this premise of like beautiful woman becomes ugly so that she can be within the league of this ogre, literal ogre. Who lives in a swamp. What kind of fucking MRA psyop is this shit, okay? Being like, <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I mean, I get like the charm factor. He's not even that charming. He's actually just rude. Shrek's personality, like, there's so many, for example, there's in the second movie, she wants to go see her family, right? And he doesn't want her to see her family. And I'm like, that's a fucking red flag. Like his personality isn't good enough to overcome his ugliness. Yeah, so going back to the non-statement that is like all bodies are good bodies, can we disagree that doesn't really even mean anything? Yeah, I don't know what that means. That's kind of my first point. Yes, everybody who has a body has a body, but when they mean like good, exactly what does that mean? Obviously, you can't, it's not good for being a professional athlete if you're 300 pounds overweight, right? Like, what does that mean? (laughs) If it was specifically about making women feel better who had maybe a mastectomy scar or like have scars after they had children, like just saying, okay, your body is functional. It's still fit for purpose. But it seems like, especially on their page, that it's about being sexualized. It's about feeling like they're being told they're attractive rather than like refocusing their feminism that you don't have to be attractive to be a woman. Like you can exist in this world and be effective and have like career or or do things in society that don't center around whether or not your body is attractive. My beef with the whole like all bodies are good bodies is I wish the message was you as a person have value and your ideas matter regardless of if you meet the societal beauty standards or if you meet these beauty standards or not. What I don't like in liberal feminism is that they almost create this sort of sense of obligation like oh you have to be attracted to unattractive people or else you're a bad person and I just don't like that kind of emotional manipulation. It's a step up from like the fem cells lookism rants that used to always be on FDS (laughs) because like the themselves, they're big on the lookism thing. Like, well, it's not fair that society discriminates against unattractive people, which is a true thing. But it is unfair. Yeah, it is unfair. But like society discriminates. Like I can't, I can't be an NBA player. I'm not tall. Can't be a swimmer because you're a biological woman. Ooh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> spicy take. We'll, we'll stick a pin in that one. Um, but yeah, society discriminates against people in all sorts of different ways looks is is one of many different ways that people are discriminated against. Once again, like this is just another area in which it feels like it's one step up from the the fem cells explicitly saying that like their entire mission is to force society to find them attractive, which is 
pretty much futile. Weird and futile. So point number two, virginity is a social construct. I mean, correct. I mean, it doesn't really exist. I mean, no, it doesn't. But if someone's first time having sex is important to them, it it does exist. And that I think is valid and worth noting. I mean, money is also a social construct. Language is a social construct. There's a lot of things that are social constructs that still matter and that affect your life. I think, again, my problem with this is the idea that women's value decreases the more sexual partners that they have. So it would have been more accurate if they said virginity doesn't really have value because it doesn't really have value. Or virginity doesn't impact your value as a human. Yeah, there we go. So I'd agree with that. But the whole idea around like virginity as a social construct, I'm like, again, what does that have to do with feminism? And what I'm noticing this is just it's poorly worded. I'll throw it a bone and say virginity is a social construct and that virginity does not determine the value of anybody, really. Well, maybe the incels. No. (laughs) (laughs) It is their identity. It's your fault. No, I'm kidding. They were made in the darkness. (laughs) It's your fault, incels. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. So just the poorly worded statement kind of feel like we understand what they were getting at. But once again, not really getting down to the actual core issue, which is that there's an overvaluation of virginity as a concept, but it is a concept that exists. The other problem with virginity as a social construct is I I see this sort of argument often used as an attack on women's boundaries. For example, women who either don't want to have sex or they want to wait for sex until marriage. I've seen some men trying to gaslight women like that. The funny thing is like men like that, they want to have sex with a virgin because they know that there's like status or, you know, excitement or like, oh, they want to deflower her or whatever. But they'll gaslight the woman being like, virginity doesn't actually matter. Like virginity is a social construct and you're a reactionary and conservative if you don't want to have sex before marriage. So yeah, again, like these are statements that I feel are so easily abused by men. Yeah, it's very true. We used to manipulate women to thinking that abstaining for sex is some kind of odd, prudish, backwards thinking. Basically, the idea that oh, virginity is a social construct is then often followed up with, and that's why you should have sex with lots of men and multiple partners. Right. <laughs> <laughs> have wild, kinky sex, because if you don't do that... Make your body a flea market. <laughs> make your body a flea market, because if you, know, if you don't have sex with tons of men frequently and do all kinds of crazy orgies and shit, then you're not a feminist or you're not progressive, right? So that's the, that's the other beef that I have with that sentence. So point number three, consent is mandatory. I hate the way this is phrased. No, I'm with you with that. Consent is is really bare, bare minimum. First of all, consent is mandatory makes it sound like the man is being like, it is mandatory for you to consent to me. (laughs) Give me consent or give me death. It's like lack of consent is rape is really what this should be. It's another non-statement statement. Okay, I have a problem with the concept of consent um, under liberalism. When they say consent, what they actually mean is passive acquiescence to whatever the man wants. I often see whenever a woman is raped or or even like um, cases where a woman is like strangled to death, for example, the man will be like, but she consented to it. I don't like how the concept of consent has been used. And we've talked about this many times in FDS, how the concept of consent is often used in a victim blaming way. It's a way of putting the blame on the individual rather than looking at the larger structures and what are the factors that may contribute to women's decision making. My point being that like this idea of consent is a way of like demanding sexual acquiescence from women rather than looking at like what are what are the things that women actually want. It was Louise Perry, I think, who wrote a really, really poignant article in Unheard about how because we got rid of things like religion around sexuality and made consent the... Uh, the only basis of morality? Yeah, the only, yeah, the only basis of whether an act is moral or not. 
then what happened is there's so much coercive behavior around sex now because it's just about getting the consent and not necessarily about whether or not this is good or healthy or actively wanted. Because consent, again, is just like the bare legal definition uh, between rape and not rape. Like, I've had exes who would badger me into sex or badger me into sex acts that I didn't want to do until I finally was like, okay, fine, right? So that moment that I say, okay, fine, that's consent, I guess. That's consent, but it's like barely consent. Yeah, not enthusiastic consent. Contemptuous consent. Begrudging consent. (laughs) Reluctant, yeah. But it's consent, legally, right? That's why I want to have more conversations around, like, is it really consent when you live in a society that grooms women from a very young age to think that their entire value is being sexually pleasing to men? Yeah. And so this is just another place where I just, I feel like they just completely dropped the ball around the concept. I I liked the yes means yes movement. Uh, Affirmative consent, I think is what they call it, where it's like you have to actively say that you want to do something rather than someone tries to coerce you into sex and your lack of no indicates consent. Yeah, exactly. Can I just say actually sidebar, but like people often say, oh, when you, if you have to ask for consent, it'll ruin the moment or it's not sexy or whatever. Nonsense. Nonsense. There have been a few times where I'll be like on a date with a guy or after a date with a guy and he'll be like, can I kiss you? And I think that's the cutest. I love that. That's so romantic. I love that. You know what though? I just wanted to share something sad from when I was younger. That's a little FDSy, but I actually was under that impression that, you know, being asked something and not just being forcefully taken. And that's really indicative of like a lack of cultural conversation about what consent is in the context of a relationship, which is really sad. Teach that in sex ed. Yeah, it is cute when men ask for permission. It makes me feel like I'm safe and in control. I like that. (laughs) I grew up on 90s R&B and I miss it for that reason because it would be like, can I kiss you? The entire act of men trying to seduce you and like asking for sexual permission was sexy. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't like this weird, awkward thing that they're trying to make it into. Like, Old school R&B like had it in the bag, yeah. man, about how you seduced a woman and talked to her, like sweet talked her out of her panties and got her in, you know, into the sexual mood. And it's like that art has been completely lost in some respects because we just focus on like, well, she did it or she didn't rather than the way that it's being asked and the way that it's being put forth and the way that she responds to it. I don't want to be badgered into sex. I want the man to be like on his knees begging for crumbs of my attention. <laughs> I want a guy on his knees ripping open his shirt in the pouring rain. Yeah. <laughs> Wanting me. I want to be wanted and not like devoured. Exactly. I don't like guys who just like, oh, just barge in, take what they want, like that kind of thing. It's just so disrespectful. I don't like that. I don't like feeling like I'm having something had over on me. That's terrifying, honestly. I like when men ask permission. It makes me feel like I'm in control and I like that. Speaking really close to the mic in a very sexy voice. Hey girl, are you ready? So point number four, gender is not binary. Well, gender doesn't really... Gender isn't real. Like, Yeah, gender is a social construct. Sex is binary. That's just... I'm really pissed off by the whole sex is a social construct. No, sex is binary. Sex is binary. There's some people with intersex conditions, I guess, but that doesn't mean they're not male or female. They're outside of that conversation. Outliers do not get to tyrannize. And I don't even think intersex people are leading this war on, like, sex anyways. In fact, intersex people have been very clear that they don't want their medical condition to be used as a justification for, like, why males can become females when they can't. So, like, if a a man wears traditionally feminine clothing, he's putting on a quote-unquote traditional female gender role, but it's like, well, it was was always socially constructed to begin with, so it can be whatever you want it to be. But, like, sex is pretty binary, but I've noticed, and a lot of people have noticed, that 
sex and gender have become too interchangeable when they're talking about these subjects, depending on what kind of agenda they're trying to push. And pretty much every biologist alive and all the leading biologists are in agreement that sex is about as binary as you're going to get. And like in the animal kingdom, gender is more or less a social construct. Sexual reproduction is a billion years old. It's existed long before humans existed. Being angry at the concept of sex being binary is like being mad at gravity. It's just something that exists. It's just a thing that exists. You know, you're better off just like accepting the what the one thing I ha- the beef that I have with this sentence is that gender roles uh, gender roles are real because they're they're a social construct but they still affect women's lives. My point being that like you can have any personality regardless of your sex, but I find it really silly how men will like put on nail polish or wear a dress and think that they're challenging gender roles, but they still expect their wife to do the, all the dishes and the cooking and the cleaning. So, uh, you know, I I want to tell men out there if you want to challenge the binary nature of gender, or if you want to challenge gender roles or so on, like do the fucking dishes, cl- cook and clean for your girlfriend don't put on nail polish and be like i'm challenging the gender binary like that literally means nothing yeah every time i hear i'm challenging the gender binary and it's just like an aesthetic i'm just rolling my eyes right it's like what you dyed your hair purple <laughs> political action i want to see people who are about that action <laughs> instead of people who were i don't know this is like a gen z thing mostly where it just seems like once again it's gen z's emo kids where it's become an aesthetic so so can we have a pronoun conversation for a second as an english language learner yo english is not an easy language to learn in the fucking first place and then adding this entire like pronoun revolution is not fair to people like us who are valid english language learners where it's just like by the way everything you referred you learned about referring to nouns is like in conjugations doesn't matter anymore because some people's genitals don't like that and like I feel victimized by the war on pronouns right now. No, that's actually a good point because a lot of this language obfuscation, and it's not just that, but also like things like people with cervixes and so on. Like, God, they say things like people with cervixes to include like non-binary or trans men uh, people. Right. But by including those people uh, with the phrase people with cervixes, you're also excluding women, for example, a lot of even native English speakers, a lot of women, you'd be surprised how many women just didn't get good sex ed. They don't know that they have a cervix. Right. (laughs) But, but also, yeah, like immigrant women, women where English is not their first language, they would see that statement, people with cervixes, and they might not know that it applies to them. So this obfuscation of language that I'm seeing recently to be more inclusive to gender variant people is silly. Uh, And I don't, again, has nothing to do with feminism. There's just validating individual narcissists. Yeah, it's very odd. But this Alec Vade men in person, it is they, them. But basically, they're a person that was born male that looks like a giant hairy male that wears bad female fashion and then says they're oppressed. <laughs> Your clothes are ugly. God. Yeah, that's just basically what it is. Like, you're not being oppressed. Your fashion sense is just trash, and people are tired of your attention seeking. So, anyways, uh, moving along, uh, the next one is non monogamous relationships are valid. I'm actually legit pissed about this because I said this in the Twitter space that this is a luxury belief, first of all. Yes. And then secondly, no clue whatsoever what non-monogamy has to do with feminism because non-monogamy and different types of variations of non-monogamy have been used to exploit women. Like polygamy? Polygamy. And a lot of these like quote unquote ethical non-monogamous people and these people that build these like soft harems, cult leaders use this entire language of non-monogamy. Free love, commune culture. Yeah. So I'm looking at this like, what does non-monogamy have to do with 
advancing the rights of female people. This is just a bunch of vaguely liberal ideas that they're shoehorning into feminism. It's just radical individualism. Yeah. It is, yeah. I really like that term that you use, radical individualism, because it sounds like a lot of what religious insurgents do. They'll take pretty mainstream belief system like Christianity or Islam as of late, and they'll just shoehorn it under there where it's like concepts that are not really integral to Islam or Christianity and suddenly make it like a Christian or religious construct. So yeah, non-monogamous relationships, what does that have to do with forwarding female interest? That sounds about dudes more than anything. Yeah. The, the other thing is, I know that monogamy in the past has been used to oppress women. They expect the woman to be monogamous, but the man can, like, have a wife and still cheat kind of thing. A mistress. A mistress. I still consider that type of relationship non-monogamous because the man is not being monogamous. But monogamous relationships largely do benefit women more than non-monogamous relationships because it is more beneficial to the woman and her children if she's got one man whose resources are fully invested in her and her children rather than having to spread that really thin between multiple women. Yeah, it's never like a soft male harem, right? (laughs) I looked through their page and I didn't see like a woman with like a bunch of boyfriends. It was always men with multiple girlfriends. Yeah. Or like gender fluid and sexually fluid polycules. I have seen like random subredditors and I don't know if it's real where it's always like the most below average female with like four below average dudes. That, but there's a woman that was on Daily Mail who had children and then she had like a polycule and it was her and like, yeah, kind of what you said, like, she wouldn't be on Sports Illustrated. She wouldn't be on Sports Illustrated. Well, maybe nowadays. Uh, but uh, one of the men like beat her kid to death. What? Having a lot of men, especially non-related men, is actually a really big risk and liability to children because those men are the most likely to abuse the children in the house. So even with the like the few examples where we've seen of like a woman heading a polycule with a bunch of men, it a lot of times still ends up really horrible because especially if children are involved. Especially if children are involved, like because the men involved are probably not mentally stable, to be blunt. Like <laughs> statistically speaking, the men most likely to molest children are non-related males, usually men who are in an intimate uh, relationship with the mother. Yeah. Stepdad molestation, for example, is actually extremely common. And I just feel like polyamory and children should not mix. If you're going to have a polycule and you just want to have a bunch of orgies all the time, that's cool. You do you if you're adults. I don't think it's feminism, but I'm not going to stop you. But as soon as children are involved, I I actually think it's very cruel to children to have like this revolving door of adults coming in and out of their lives. It's not kind to the child to introduce a potential parental figure and then, you know, maybe date them for six weeks and then they leave. This happens a lot with, you know, single moms who date. A lot of single moms will not introduce their boyfriend to the child until they know that they're for serious, for serious, because they don't want the child to get attached to the man that they're dating and then have him bounce, right? So I just think it's not kind to children to introduce them to adults that might not be there for very long. Absolutely agree with that. And the other thing is, what does valid mean? What does that mean? It's not legally valid. Yeah. (laughs) Like, what does it really mean? I'm going to go valid definition. Let's Google this. What what is the actual definition of valid? I hate everything about this entire list because it's so (laughs) contrived. So there's three, there's three definitions for valid. Um, One is having sound basis in logic or fact 
reasonable or cogent, which polyamory is none of those things. (laughs) (laughs) Polyamory is no basis in logic or fact. It's purely just people indulging in their own hedonism. It's not logical. That's purely just snake brain shit. Um, Second definition is illegally binding due to having been executed in compliance with the law. Again, polyamory is just like the forever girlfriend equivalent of polygamy. Um, where the men in the situation are getting all the benefits without having to legally provide for the woman. Like, at least with polygamy, in countries where polygamy is legal, the man is supposed to treat all the wives equally and be able to actually provide for them. Well, to underscore that, when have men done things that they're supposed to do? But that's what I mean about, like, at least there's some kind of legal recourse that women might have in that situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With polyamory, Again, this is like forever girlfriend. You have no legal rights in that situation. There's no obligation for the man to actually provide or to add value to your life in any way or to support your children. So polyamory is not legally binding. You don't get any of the, you know, inheritance, health insurance, legal benefits that come with marriage. Um, third is legally or officially acceptable. Which is not. <laughs> which is not, right? So like by the actual literal dictionary definition polyamory or non-monogamous relationships are not valid in any of those definitions. Yeah. (laughs) So this lady, I found the name, she was a lady down in Florida and her name was Tori Ojeda. One of her boyfriends ended up injuring one of the babies pretty bad and was charged with aggravated child abuse because he, uh, it says that he had possibly injured the child, but he was babysitting, that he had squeezed the child. So this is a guy who hurt a baby. So yeah, that's kind of the thing with having a male. A male dominated harem. Yeah, male dominated harem is like men are crazy or like at least they're more of a danger to women, the more of them that are around. And that's generally why you don't see that arrangements more so as you'll see one man with many women. So the next bullet point is self-pleasure is self-care. Okay. (laughs) Ken, not anti-masturbation here by any means, but why is this a feminist cause? (laughs) Sometimes I always like look at it like, if a man were putting forth this as a male cause, like, would we be equally as celebratory? No. I mean, you have a right to masturbate. The government shouldn't be able to come and, like, make you stop. SWAT team breaking down your door. Have a 1001. He's jerking off. Who's <laughs> flicking beam? Yeah. Yeah, no. I wonder if this is just like people responding to the old religious tropes that were anti-masturbation. So there, I mean, there is like a branch of religion. Actually, I would say even more specifically Catholicism, because I feel like evangelicals realize they lost the fight on masturbation. No, they're still trying. They're trying. Are they? Because I, at least when I grew up, like they would just be like, well, just make sure all of your actions are honoring God, right? Like they wouldn't necessarily tell you not to masturbate, but they, I mean, they were pretty anti-porn. Think of like hot Jesus. Right now. <laughs> oh. Jesus with the abs, yeah. <laughs> and I'm also assuming they mean sex here. And porn. That's the other thing is because the lip films also conflate mas- masturbation and porn. So when they say self-pleasure is self-care, they're trying to say that watching porn is self-care, which is obviously not. Uh, to quote Gail Dines, porn is violence against women in both its production and consumption. There's nothing self-caring about that. I do think, however, that in some cultures, for example, like with FGM, where women's sexual pleasure is so taboo that they'll literally cut off your clitoris. That is the sort of thing I believe in fighting against, right? The idea that female pleasure is important and should be prioritized, I'm totally 100% behind that. Um, But yeah, I'm just looking at that statement and thinking, like, what are the ways that men can abuse this? Well, I mean, the other thing, too, with these statements is when you're talking about feminism and you don't include the reasons why 
we can't do these things or why these things are a problem, which is primarily constructs created by men. It's like they don't want to offend men, in which case you're not really doing women a service, right? Because all of these things don't require any kind of change from men whatsoever, right? Exactly. This is pick me like milk toast femzel feminism where they're like afraid to actually say the thing they don't want to say the thing just say the goddamn thing yeah each of these statements they're saying it in a way that's palatable to men like they're reading in a way where a man can read that and be like oh yeah i agree or like it's just a trope a woman can say that's not going to help them at all in the real world because men will men first of all men won't know what they're talking about right exactly they can they can spin this to benefit themselves first of all and then secondly it doesn't require any type of action. And it's just a mantra that doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Lilith brought up FGM. And as an immigrant from that part of the world where FGM is a very real issue that feminists in the West have been. The cultural relativists who are like, that's their culture. Yeah. Why are we imposing? Or they just don't talk about it, period. It's Western imperialism. It's yeah. white feminism to be opposed to FGM. I'm dead serious. I have, I know. Uh, that's actually being said. Literally, in university, I did know. Uh, we did have a debate in a class where a woman was like, actually saying that it's not up to us to tell other cultures about how to blah, blah, blah. And like, you know, we need to uh, be careful about like imperialist feminism and like this kind of stuff. Like basically saying that like, it's not our business to resist FGM if we're not part of that culture. Um, yeah, no, please do. Please resist it. It sucks for everybody. Yeah. It's it's male ownership of the vulva. I mean, if you really believe that virginity is a social construct and consent is mandatory, then why aren't you rallying up against FGM? And you want to talk about the clit, but only when it's orgasming, not when it's being shaved off with a blunt. Like, sorry to get like really vulgar, but there's real shit happening. No, speak from the heart, girl. I want to hear more of this. Yeah. Well, like, I, I, there's someone really close to me in my family that witnessed her best friend when they're both, like, relatively seven. They're both under the age of 10. She saw her best friend bleed to death because of this very thing. So it's like, oh, wow, we're going to talk about vaginas only when it's coming. And then I'm already pre-triggered by the next one, which is sex work is real work. So, yeah, let's have a discussion about real problems that women are facing across the world that aren't beards and unibrows. And you want to talk about the clit? Let's talk about the clit. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm pro-female pleasure. 100% behind that. I'm against anything that attacks women's ability to masturbate is or to experience sexual pleasure is terrible. That's completely feminist as well. But the gender neutral phrasing of this is what bothers me. The self-pleasure is self-care because that could apply to men, right? Like men jerking off, like men jerking off to porn. Oh, it's just self-care. No, it's not. These are not the same. Not even just men, but remember, I think I stuck a pin in the Coomer Den conversation from earlier. There was a tweet, and I wish I could find it now. I'll I'll look for it. But uh, there was a tweet from a woman that was talking about like her self-care Friday night. And it was like a glass of wine, a charcuterie board, and her favorite porn. And I was like, is this going to be the new feminist wave? Coomer Den's for her? Yeah. No, she she's a ger- I can't remember her name. I, I'm trying to find her Twitter handle, but she's a German sex educator. Her name starts with an M. I, I, if I find it, we'll drop it in the show notes. It's gross and bizarre to me that this woman will like have like scrambled eggs or something and just like watch like anal porn. It's like how can you eat while watching people get fucked in the ass? That's disgusting. Coomer dance for women. <laughs> you can, ladies, you can do anything a man can do, including being a disgusting coomer. 
Yeah, and participate in the sexual exploitation of women by participating in the porn industry, which, yeah, once again, I don't like how that's been put as the forefront of feminism. Like, why is feminism about us participating in sexuality the way that men do, and specifically these consumable products, which are highly exploitative of women? Next one, sex work is real work. Sex work is exploitation. Sex work is patriarchy. Yeah, it's... Sex work is rape culture. It's normalizing the sale and purchase of female bodies by men. So again, this is like a big bone of contention between liberal feminists and radical feminists, um, and then obviously conservative feminists, um, about what do you do with the reality of prostitution or even porn? So far, in every iteration, it has ended up extremely exploitative to women, as well as normalizing abuse, misogyny, racism, all types of exploitation of women who would otherwise be homeless the mentally ill, a lot of the women who end up in full service sex work, especially at the margins of society, are women who are functionally homeless. It's a way for them to have a place to sleep at night. And when they talk about this as being labor, it's like they want to normalize the idea that we should have this be a practice, which is really just sexually exploiting the poor and desperate. And that it's okay for the rich to molest the poor as long as they pay for their silence is how I basically see prostitution. <laughs> I mean, you're not finding upper middle class or upper class women selling their bodies. I mean, they'll sell feet pics or have an OnlyFans or something like that, but that's only because they have daddy's money to bail them out. So they, they can engage in those kinds of risks and bounce back from it. My beef with the sex work is real work. Like Rose said in the past, it normalizes this idea that sex is a service that women provide for men, whether it's as a prostitute or as a wife. On the right, conservatives, they say sex is a service that women provide to men in the context of marriage. On the left, they say sex is a service that women provide to men within the context of prostitution. And both of these are patriarchal. And what we at FDS say, and this is why we call ourselves politically non-binary, because we're about maximizing female benefit, sex should only happen when the woman wants it and is enjoying it. Not under duress or coercion or because we have to do it for the rent. If there's too many women who are relying on the sex industry to make ends meet, it's indicative that there's literally no social safety net. You've created yet another patriarchy, right? I think there's been an overfocus on the traditional patriarchal model of, uh, model of marriage, which is Yes, arguably been very oppressive to women, but the sex work model and the prostitution model is just, if not more, and probably actually definitely more sexually exploitative of women and patriarchal. Yeah. As Andrew, I mentioned right-wing women a lot because I just love it, the book by Andrew Dork, and she mentions how conservative women, women on the right, they're not stupid. They basically see marriage as, oh, they only have one John to serve, where like they're never going to get behind. Conservative women are never going to get behind free love, prostitution and stuff, because they see that as having to sexually service multiple men. It's much easier to just have one John than to have multiple, right? Arguably less risky, too. It's the commodification of the body. And if you want to take like the religious angle, your your body is like holy and sacred to yourself and God gave this body to you and treat it well and don't let random coomers just run through it. Don't be a hole for rent for men because hole for rent is like obviously misogynistic, but that's how men see women who engage in sex work. I don't see them that way. I see them as exploited women, but men they the same thing with surrogacy. They see it as a womb for rent. They see themselves as entitled to own and purchase women's bodies. They have this fantasy that if we try to normalize their profession, that they'll become respected members of society. And that has just never happened and never will happen because the purpose of the product is to indulge men's most depraved 
ideas. Like I think I think that's sort of the through line of the sex industry that the the liberal feminists like never kind of want to admit. I'm like, if women who are like doctors are fighting for their respect, hasn't happened even in sex work light industries like stripping or porn. It's just not the way that that happens. So the more they try to normalize it, all they do is just expand the industry, which has two effects. One, increasing the pool of women who are being sexually exploited, but also driving down wages for the women that are part of that. Because like any industry, if you start to increase the pool of in- workers, and this happened with the big OnlyFans fiasco, where during the pandemic, a lot of people were taking to OnlyFans to make a couple extra bucks and then it got oversaturated and then like women were making were doing really nasty shit to make like $180. The same thing has happened in Germany when they legalized prostitution. It actually drove the demand for prostitution up. And wages down. Demand up and wages down because in order to meet the demand, traffickers started trafficking women from Eastern Europe and from the Middle East and uh, from Asia. And again, because they can't find enough women to do this sort of thing willingly, they have to find women who are poor and who are exploited to to do that. And because of the legalization of prostitution, it just drove down wages. The reason why sex workers make more money when prostitution is illegal is because of the risk. It's sort of like how, you know, before they legalized weed, for example, like drug dealers made more money selling weed. I mean, in Canada, anyways, before they legalized weed, drug dealers made more money selling weed than they do now because of the risk associated with illegal weed production. It's the same thing with prostitution. Yeah. And it doesn't pass any type of employment law, right? It can't pass EEOC laws. You can't force someone to fuck anybody, right? And it doesn't pass OSHA laws. The other thing I wanted to say is the inherent contradiction in this image. They say sex work is real work. And then they say consent is mandatory. I mean, if you take, I'm going to give the charitable interpretation of consent is mandatory, which is that enthusiastic consent is the only type of consent that's acceptable. Um, Paid consent is not enthusiastic consent. If you have to pay someone to consent, it means that they're not enthusiastic. Like if this woman wouldn't otherwise have sex with you, if you weren't paying for it, then they don't actually want to fuck you. With that, just paying someone doesn't necessarily mean it's not exploitative either. And there's been a couple of people, especially Marxists, that argue like, well, all labor is exploitative. I'm like, do you want like the equivalent of an Amazon warehouse for prostitution? Imagine how horrifying that is. Right. And like, and that's what happens when you have capitalist interests take over. Once again, it drives down wages and makes people more desperate to do it because there's just not as many jobs. Then they start to you know, in order to meet shareholder demand, they're going to find ways to cut costs, right, and drive up the revenue, which is always going to come at the expense of the workers, which has been found, again, once again, a lot of these legalized places where they have basically like like buffet brothels where they'll pay $20 and it's all you can fuck. And these women just make literally no money. And so these guys figured out like, well, if we get them in, they'll buy drinks, they'll buy other things at the brothel, but then they'll they'll pay the actual laborers as little as possible. I want to go off on pro-prostitution Marxists real quick. Okay, I'm still left-leaning. I'm still, like, inspired by Marxism, I guess. I know Elle, like, she's anti-Marxist, like, YOLO. Anyways, (laughs) um, (laughs) but, um, so I still consider myself, like, inspired by Marxism, and Marx was anti-prostitution. He thought that prostitution was a form of exploitation. He thought that the only way that we're going to be able to liberate the working class is by abolishing prostitution, like he was a prostitution abolitionist. And so it bothers me, all these new age Marxists, I guess, or self-identified Marxists who are pro-prostitution and sex work is real work, and they call people reactionary for being against prostitution. Um I fucking hate those people. They don't they don't read theory. They just read like Jacobin or whatever. The phrase 
all work is exploitation under capitalism. It's very pro-capitalist to say that we should treat prostitution like any other job. Like you said, like imagine the horrifying conditions of like a sweatshop or, um, you know, an Amazon warehouse or something where workers are absolutely being exploited, but then add sex to that and, and make that. And, and all of the risk is taken by the workers, right? The abuse, the STDs, possible children, et cetera. I mean, there's just, it's, it's fundamentally inhumane. The actual act itself is fundamentally inhumane. Yeah, like, I don't understand the logic here that, like, oh, all work is exploitation under capitalism, therefore we should treat prostitution the same way we treat any other job under capitalism, which is exploitative. Like, that's pro-capitalist. I don't see that as Marxist at all. It's just very... Um, they're, they're not Marxists, actually. They're just... they're Just coomers. They're coomers. They're just coomers, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's the thing. Men will come up with whatever political philosophy to justify their own fucking sexual depravity. Like, whatever type of sex that men want to have, they'll come up with a political philosophy to support it. There we go. Um, next, body hair is beautiful. I mean... <laughs> First of all, like, body hair, it, it simply exists... It's neither good nor bad. It's just, again, it's like gravity. It's just something that exists. And I think it's good to accept it. But I don't think, I don't like this idea that like, oh, it's mandatory for you to find body hair attractive. Like that just seems weird to me. It just seems weird to dictate. Yeah, this Feminist for All page, they just have a lot of different pictures of women that have like odd body hair growing different places. And I'm like, that's fine. I know there's going to be some guys that are into that, but it's just like what everybody's not going to find it beautiful. Right. Like, but again, why does that have to do anything with feminism? Like your feminism isn't whether or not someone finds you beautiful. Yeah. Like whether or not someone else finds you sexually appealing should be completely irrelevant <laughs> under feminism. This is like the thing I, I, disdain the most is like the level of femseldom it has to take to be like my feminism is centered around the fact that i need everyone to find me as beautiful as they find i don't know a, a supermodel so but that's just that's just not reality and quite frankly when you see the pages it's like all women underneath there like yes queen and i'm like i mean i guess if you're a lesbian like feeling validated by other women might be great but like for a lot of these women who are straight like you don't see men in these comments like oh i want to have sex with you even though men will have sex with just about anybody for any reason but it's generally men will have sex with animals they'll have sex with a bagel they'll have sex with a fucking <laughs> apple pie or whatever make chicken men, men are not that discerning they'll have that's the other thing is like mayonnaise jar <laughs> it is relevant whether a man finds you attractive because men will fuck anything so even if you do meet the beauty standards it's like well what's the point because men are not very discerning anyway so why would you care about appealing to them yeah exactly so yeah, so the body hair beautiful thing is society like society's not gonna make you shave it off, right? Some people might be into it, but it's probably a larger people who might not be into it. And then furthermore, we were talking about the seventies bush. Like it used to be very common that women had body hair and a lot of it even pubic hair, and it didn't really spell feminism. It didn't really mean that like women weren't oppressed. I mean, then you're just worried about like, well, my bush isn't as full and thick and luscious as other women, right? Like, it's just, <laughs> it doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do just want to point out that like body hair acceptance for women and female empowerment, there's no correlation between the two. In fact, um, the expectation that women should shave their body hair is something that's only been around for the past, I think, like 50 to 70 years uh, after World War II, when, you know, women started not covering up as much, or I, I think it might have actually started in the 20s. But when women started showing more skin and not covering up as much, that's when companies started deciding that they could profit from women's insecurities about their 
body hair and be like, oh, you know, if I've seen these like old timey like ads for razors that are like, oh, you don't want people, to, you don't want men to think you're a hairy, ugly man, do you? So, you know, shave your armpits, shave your legs, that kind of stuff. But it's worth pointing out that up until very recently, women generally did not shave their body hair. And there's cultures where men shave their body hair and, and again, men are still dominant. So it's just, you know. Yeah, exactly. Like I had a, a an ex, he was Middle Eastern and uh, he got me to wax his chest, but that didn't make him any less misogynistic. Yeah. So like body hair acceptance or body hair removal, there's no correlation with women's rights at all. They're not related concepts at all. I do think that women shouldn't be bullied into shaving their body hair if they don't want to. That's that's a feminist issue, I guess. Yeah. So I can see a lot of women feeling like I don't fit this particular beauty standard. I don't, I don't want to do it. But again, like I think just putting it like body hair is beautiful. Like, are you trying, what are you trying to say by that? You're trying to say that you can still be sexual and have body hair. Everybody may, may or may not find it beautiful. Are you saying like it shouldn't affect your employment if you have body hair? Whether or not it's beautiful shouldn't have an effect on your ability to participate in society, right? And you can't force people to find it sexually attractive if they don't. Exactly. That's re- really what it comes down to is you can't force other people to find things sexually attractive. If you don't want to shave your body hair, then don't. But don't expect other people to like, I don't know. It's just weird that this expectation that we have to like stand around in a circle singing Kumbaya and celebrating things like not shaving, right? Just don't shave. Just be a normal person. Like, basically, the attitude is like, I want to be sexualized by men, but also I don't want to have to do the things that men find sexy. It's just this weird contra. It's very contradictory. Well, it's not a problem wanting to be sexually appealing to men if you're heterosexual. And this is sometimes where I think we differ from like full on radical feminists who don't understand that. It's just a matter of, first of all, degree. Are you harming yourself? Right. Are you actually harming yourself to be sexually attractive to men? And also, are you getting value for value? Because there's just like a million types of ways that women are expected to groom our bodies and like five things for men. Yeah, that's true. Like the other thing is money, right? Women spend a lot of money on beauty products, body hair removal and so on. That's a financial burden that women have that men don't. And so that's the other thing I'm like, if you don't want to shave, then don't. It's expensive. Women shouldn't have to shave when men are not expected to shave. But I, I, yeah, I don't buy this idea that in order for you to have value as a person that other people need to find you attractive. I have a problem with that concept. True. Yeah, if your feminism is about men finding you sexually attractive, then you've lost the plot. It's not feminism. Yeah, you've lost the plot and you're focusing on the things that, quite frankly, won't actually make things tangibly better. And also, you can't bully people into finding you sexually attractive. And sex work is patriarchy. Sex work is rape culture. Sex work is not a job. Sex is not something that we owe men as a service. Sex is something that women have for our pleasure only. And there has to be some, there has to be feminist fighting out there for the concept that our sexuality is not for sale. It only exists to please ourselves, period. We do not owe men sex as a service. We do not owe men sex like on demand. We don't owe them anything. Decentralized men from the sex conversation, period. You know how earlier I was like, oh, well, Uh, this is the most charitable interpretation of consent is mandatory. I also want to talk about the uncharitable interpretation of that. If you say consent is mandatory, like you must consent. And then sex work is real work. Like that's fucked up. That's like saying women must be prostitutes essentially. Yeah. It is. It is a weird phrase too, because it says like consent is mandatory. It means like you have to consent. (laughs) It it can also be read that way. Yeah, exactly. That's the, that's the one interpretation of consent is mandatory. It means it is mandatory for you to consent, which is not consent. Like, (laughs) like I said, I will be very interested to see how this Twitter account does because the real feminists are on Twitter and I feel like they're going to read this shit and be like, uh, go home children. Yeah. Like, (laughs) 
So thanks for listening to our show. Check us out on Twitter at Female Political, as well as our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Female Political Strategy. Thanks for listening, Team Female. See you next week. Thank you.